hit me. I'm Alan Gerding. Welcome to the Tuesday Night Podcast, the podcast that's all about the stories we make while playing the games we love on, around, and even under the gaming table. I'm talking dice, cards, role-playing games, those cardboard chits, meeples, which I'm not a huge fan of, but with me, I have the stimpy to my wren, Sean McCoy. Hi. Is that okay with you? Would you prefer being wren over stimpy? I always get them confused. Stimpy is what? the- cat and ren is the chihuahua yes correct my brother's a huge ren and stimpy fan huge so is my brother and so am i the cat that laid the golden hairball amazing artistic episode it's basically the citizen cane of grotesque cartoons now get to horfing and you know all about the awful sort of history with the creator i'm assuming no, I don't, but I'm never surprised. I just messed with my partner in crime, Crystal, the other day when she said, I don't know why John Stamos isn't in more movies because we were watching the television show You on Netflix, mm. which is about basically a serial killer who's obsessed with this woman. And I said, oh, you don't know about the controversy with John Stamos, do you? I don't. What is it? There's none. I just just totally make it. It's like, no, what is it? I'm like, nothing. I don't know. But it's not surprising at all. There's so much controversy out there. What's the controversy with the creator? I mean, it's not really controversy. He is a creeper. Dated underage girls and, I mean, was fired from Ren and Stimpy. Most of the show is not by him because of, like, late deadlines and stuff like that. But I know about this because my brother's such a big fan of the show. He, you know. Well, we're off to a great start, Sean. Thanks for ruining <laughs> Ren and Stimpy for me. Damn it. There you go. But we should stop talking about Ren and Stippy because we don't have a whole bunch of time today. And I'm going to call this episode the Boom Story episode. You'll see why, Sean. Howdy. It's time for interaction satisfaction. Shoot us your emails, your comments, or your questions. We'll do our best to answer them. All right, first email from someone named Damon. Hey, Sean, Alan, B-Team, Chestbeard, Lindsay, fellow knaves, knightly knights, and other lords alike. It's becoming a mouthful. I, Sean, how do you think they should start their emails? Just as a side note. Here's $20. <laughs> okay. Where do you get those groovy tunes? I especially enjoyed the Mothership episode music. Knave Dancing Damon. Now that I love, I love that instead of just signing your regular name, you put something clever, because that reminds me of those write-in columns on newspapers where it's like, desperately seeking Susan, or clogged toilet Tim, you know, something like that. So I like that dancing Damon. Is Susan desperately seeking, or is somebody desperately seeking Susan? I don't know. It was a television Hmm. show, wasn't it? Or is that a movie? I don't know. Did you hear about the creator of Desperately Seeking Susan? Yeah. Yeah, it's the dark. whole ties to Nazi, yeah, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I didn't think you yep. could be involved in so many crimes. Let me just answer the question, Damon. I get most of the music 
from freemusicarchives.org, where you get all this Creative Commons music, and all you have to do is give them credit. So if you ever check out our show notes, you'll see there's always the music attribution the bottom of the description of every episode i tell you who did what music on what episode but if you're a big fan of the mothership episode daniel birch is the musician whose music we use the most when talking mothership (laughs) he does a good job So, Sean, we have a Discord channel totally dedicated to Mothership, and uh, this person on the Mothership Discord channel has made an entire playlist of nothing but Mothership music, and I believe every single song on there, Daniel Birch. Oh, wow. You haven't seen this yet? Mm Mm-mm. Well, I mean, I don't know. People are posting stuff like that a lot, and so I might have gotten lost in the shuffle. Yeah. I didn't know there was a playlist with only Daniel Birch. So he sent me his own Spotify-made soundtrack. Oh, that's so cool. It, yeah, and it has the Mothership logo and your graphics on it, so it actually looks like a Mothership CD album on Spotify. I haven't seen that one. There's a whole channel for sharing Mothership music that I don't go into that often because I don't have a lot of strong opinions about the music. Oh, well, I do. It's called Space Jams. <laughs> oh, nice. That little sub-channel in the Mothership Discord channel. There you go. Yep. Hopefully that answered your question, Damon. Moving on, and why I think this is going to be called the Boom Story episode. (laughs) Dearest TK crew, I love the podcastle and especially the stories you and the knight share. But, he writes in big, bold, all caps letter, dot, dot, dot. What I love the most is two rooms and a boom. I'm surprised that you don't tell more stories about two rooms and a boom. As the creators of the game... Do you have a favorite two-room story? Keep up the great work. Mm. Nave Bido. Do I? Interestingly, I think most of my memorable stories that I have with Two Rooms and a Boom, appropriately, are with you. Games in which we were there together. Definitely. Yeah. You have any that stand out in your mind? The first one I'll always remember, because when you're designing a game, it's such a huge risk that the You're going to tell will, the same damn story I'm about to tell, so go for it. You take it. I won't it. tell the story. I'll just contextualize why the story is important to me, and then you could tell the story. Uh, when you're designing a game, it's a huge risk. And I hadn't really designed a game at all before. I'd worked on Mage Wars and tooled around, but Alan had designed a lot of games by then. So he had a good sense for when, we'll say, a game was done, for when a game had all the bases covered and could be played, which is a hard thing to wrap your head around if you haven't designed a game before, when it's like finished, when you have a win condition and all that sort of stuff. And you have no idea, one, if other people are going to like it or understand it, or if they're going to ask a question that totally breaks the game. But two, what I think makes this story special is you don't know if you'll like it. And I think the best thing you could do when designing a game is design a game that you would play forever that you have a lot of fun playing because if you don't have fun playing it i don't know why you would trust anyone else to tell you that they're having fun playing it but if you start with well i will i want to play this game i want to play with my friends and family then you're in a good spot and so this story is about the first time we ever played two rooms in a boom let's go back imagine it summer cleveland ohio 2013, there's a party going on. A big party that lasts all weekend long. Why? It's my engagement party. I'm getting married to Crystal Shelton, so I call this whole shindig Crystal Con. 
It's an entire weekend of nothing but tabletop extravaganzas. Board gaming. Sean's invited. This is my new friend. I met you in Las Vegas. It's the first time you're visiting Ohio, the first of many trips that will be in the future. But the party ends. People are going home, but not you, Sean, no, because you're visiting from your hometown of Dallas. While I'm cleaning up, you come up to me and say, hey, let's make a game together. And within 24 hours, by the end of that evening, actually, we created the first ever edition of Two Rooms in a Boom. I think maybe only 16 cards, 16 or 24, two or three sheets of eight cards, I'm thinking. Yeah, that sounds about right. Actually, I think it was eight unique characters because we still had the full 30 character cards if necessary so we could play with a big group. We did know that. Those eight cards, there was regular blue team, regular red team, Mm -hmm. bomber, Mm -hmm. president, doctor, engineer, President's Daughter, and Martyr. Yeah. Oh, no, we also had Gray Team, which would later become The Gambler. Mm. Anywho, we have two rooms in a boom created, but we needed to test this puppy. Fortunately, you were also hanging out because we were going to go to Protospiel just in the state-adjacent Michigan. We get on the road, and we go to our mutual friend Jeremiah's house. There... In the destined location of Ypsilanti, Michigan, we teach the first ever game of Two Rooms in a Boom. The first of countless to follow. And to be honest, I'm amazed at how little the explanation of how to play Two Rooms in a Booms has changed throughout the years. There's a red team and there's a blue team, but first we're gonna divide people into two different rooms. We're gonna shuffle up these cards and deal them out. There's gonna be some red and blue team members in one room and some red and blue team members in the other room. Timed rounds. At the end of every round, there's going to be a hostage exchange, switching the players in the rooms. At the end of the game, everyone reveals who they are. This is important because the blue team has a president and the red team has a bomber. And if they're in the same room at the end of the game, Boom, red team wins because they blew up the president. But if they're in opposite rooms, then the president lives. Blue team wins, baby. It's amazing how little these rules have changed throughout the years. There's been plenty of tweaks here and there, but the core mechanic of the bomber and president in the same room at the end of the game, still the same. But this was the first time we ever played. We had no idea if it was going to soar like an eagle, or if it was gonna crash and burn like the Hindenburg. Emotionally, I believe both of us were a good mix of excitement and trepidation. If this goes well, oh my goodness, we have just successfully made a game together. If it goes poorly, maybe we need to work on it more, or maybe it's just so bad, we never play it again. The game starts. I'm a blue team member, I remember this. Quickly, I card share and I find out who my president is. As a couple rounds go by, I deduce who the bomber is. The last round of the game. We have the president in our room. They have the bomber in the other room. Do we send the president or do we keep the president? We decide to send the president. Then I see to my horrible dismay, the bomber doesn't get sent. It remains in the same room. My emotions 
go through the roof, all of these good slash bad fields to the point where I can I can't contain it, and I scream, no! and dive onto the floor and crawl towards the other room. We had made a game that not only worked, but both of us enjoyed playing. Huge, huge moment, because there are a lot of different types of game designers, but you're a type of game designer who's good at games. I'm a type of game designer who is bad at games. I'm not good at winning games, <laughs> particularly my own games. And it can be tough because you're designing a thing and you're like, well, I think these mechanics work together and they play well and they create some interesting decisions. And then other people will be like, oh, you don't see this, this, boom, that, then, then this, boom, you're dead. I was like, oh, no, I didn't. I didn't see that at all. I wasn't designing how to win the game, just how to play. <laughs> And so you were really moving and shaking in that game. You really knew what you needed to do to make everything happen. And so it was high stakes. The timer was working. You were feeling the pressure. You know, I'm like walking around, like talking to people like, well, what about this? What about that? And then it all sort of comes down to this sort of glorious moment. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I mean, if it hadn't been, we wouldn't be here today. Absolutely. The other Two Rooms in a Boom story that I remember is... The one we played at Origins and Two Rooms mm -hmm. in a Boom had been out for a while at this point. We have hosted so many hundreds of games. This is back when we had enough fans that they were running events on their own. Because nowadays, you and I, we don't run events at conventions. We're too tired running the booth, doing business, watching Gaunts in our hotel room in the evening. Or if we do, they're going to be for newer games for sure. Exactly. Maybe we're going to be playtesting an expansion or something else we're doing. Mothership was recorded at Origins. We played, if you listen to the Mothership episode that was already referenced by Dancing Damon, we did that at Origins because we have amazing fans that run two rooms in a boom totally on their own. Anywho, we decided, you know what? Let's play, but we had a fear that we would be burnt out. Because it's pretty much assured at that point, nobody has hosted more games than you or me. So we get into this game, and by the end, we were blown away. I had just as much fun in that game than I did that first night at Jeremiah's house. Do you remember this game? Yeah, it had been a while. I believe one of us was the con man and one of us was the werewolf. And we're like making deals. And, and I think it was one of the longer like five round games where we're talking to each other and being like, well, let's do this. Well, let's do that. And we're really planning. I think a big part of it is usually when we're running the games, you don't have a lot of time to get into it. Even sometimes you might play as like a character and moderate but you don't feel like you can go hard, if that makes sense. You don't feel like you can use all the resources at your disposal, like you would if it was just some random werewolf game. But we yeah, were, we're playing selling it. the game. We're compartmentalizing. Right. One part of us is playing the game. The other part of us is hosting and making sure people are having fun so that they enjoy the game as much as possible. And man behind the curtain. So they tell their friends. And so the game keeps on living on and on in the hearts and minds of, of others. Course. It's the same as like preparing Thanksgiving dinner for your family and then going somewhere and eating Thanksgiving dinner as a guest. It's a totally different experience. Great analogy. And this was us getting to sit down and try this meal that had been out for a while and going like, oh my gosh, it's still just as good. And it's not like we've only had good experiences with Trooms and a Boom. I've had games that were not fun for sure. I think it was that it had been so long. I hadn't played it probably in a year or two that really made it such a big deal to us. There's so many of these other mini two rooms in a boom stories 
almost all of these stories involve trying something new and seeing that it works. <laughs> I have one memorable story, which is uh, I had never run Two Rooms at a Boom for my friends in Dallas. They weren't like huge board game people, but they've become board game people over the years. But it was that thing where you were always working on, they chipped money in, and then your friend's like, why don't you run it for us? Why don't you run it for us? And I'm thinking, the last thing in the world I want to do is run this game for my friends and see what they think. They've never played Werewolf. It's super confusing. But it had been maybe a year since the game had been out, and they had never played it. So finally, at a Christmas party, we had like 14 or 15 of us there, and they are like, we're going to play Two Rooms at a Boom. And so I taught them. And it was going off without a hitch, which was great. And then I hear some clamoring in the other room. And I go in there to investigate what's going on. And a few of my friends are getting into an altercation because one of them has picked the other one up and is physically stopping him from sharing his cards with other people. And I'm going like, guys, what the hell's going on here? And they're like, what? He wants to share with these people and we, we don't want to let him. I was like, you can't touch other people. Non-consensually. Yeah, like you can't. <laughs> They're like, well, it's not in the rules, is it? And I was like, it's just in the rules of normal, decent human behavior. You can't take a dump on the floor either. That's not in the rule book. <laughs> like, And no yeah. joke, it kind of crashed and burned. People had fun, but there was such animosity between my own friends for like going so hard deep into this game that we couldn't get a second round of it going. We might have gotten a second round, but we couldn't get a third round of it going. But I always thought it was funny. I was like, well, this is why this is why I didn't teach you guys how to play this game. You couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't handle it. Yeah, that's really hardcore because Two Rooms in a Boom, we designed it specifically to avoid altercations like this. That's the whole premise of being able to card share is that you can validate who you are and avoid those type of altercations. But what if you want to stop somebody from card sharing by force? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Well, that email was very apropos for this episode's Nave Tonight's Mission by Andrew Memphy. Enjoy this, Sean. Enjoy it! Enjoy it, my boy! <laughs> I have a very first world problem. I usually have far too many players for my game sessions. There are two reasons for this, and they both can be traced back to my profession. I'm a high school teacher. Many of my friends are teachers, and unsurprisingly, teachers are nerds, and they love games. Seriously, next time you go to a board game cafe or a game shop, do a poll of the people in the room, and I guarantee you, you'll find more than a few teachers. First time I went to a game night in my local shop, I sat at a table where five out of six people were educators, and the sixth was an 11-year-old kid. So basically, whenever I host a game night, I have a long list of people who expect an invite, and then 15 end up coming. The second reason is that I host a gaming club at my school. My club is the most popular in the building, thank you very much. Although, Cooking Club does give us a run for our money, hard to beat free food, and we usually get about 30 people a week. The issue with both of these, if I want games that involve everyone as possible, it's really difficult to make that happen. I always hated the idea of splitting up people into smaller groups for different games. It's not as fun. I want us all to play together. So, a few years ago, I do an advanced search on BoardGameGeek for games with a high player count. One of the top results is a little game that boasts 30 plus players, and even better, I find that there is a free print and play version from the developer's website. 
and thus begins my long relationship with Two Rooms and a Boom. I love this game for a few simple reasons. It's quick, it's easy to learn, every game is different, and it's the perfect mix of having strategic elements while also being hilarious. Two Rooms is easily the game I have played the most once entering the hobby, and is probably my favorite game as well. And before you say anything, I promise I am not just saying all that because I'm recording the story for Tuesday Night Podcast, and I'm blatantly pandering to try and get free stuff from Sean and Alan. Totally not doing that. Anyway, I felt that there was no better topic for this recording than two of my favorite games in Two Rooms in a Boom that I was fortunate enough to run. Story one. It's maybe my fifth round with a group of people who mostly have never played Two Rooms before. So every round, I'm slowly introducing new cards and giving the group a little strategic advice for each card. This round, I choose to introduce the Clown and Blind card. I inform the group that if they get the blind card, they must keep their eyes closed as much as possible. And for the clown card, they must smile always. To give them a little bit of advice, I plant the idea in their heads that anyone can pretend to be a clown or a blind person by closing their eyes or smiling and hiding their true identity. So giving this little advice may have broke the game. Luckily, I was watching, so I had a lot of fun with this game starts and immediately almost everyone in the first room closes their eyes and puts on the stupidest smile on their faces. They're bumping into furniture and each other, they're talking through smiling clenched teeth. To any outside observer, they look like a room of insane smiling blind serial killers. The two people that are not closed eye smilers in this room barely have time to play or card share or color share because they're too busy basically being seeing eye dogs for the rest of the room kind of moving them around, making sure they don't trip and impale themselves on a fire poker or something. After watching them kind of stumble around for a few minutes, I walk over to the second room to see how they're doing, and it's the exact same thing. Maybe one person has their eyes open and their face normal, but everyone else? Blind clowns. The space we were playing required all of the blind, smiling hostages to walk through a kitchen filled with sharp and breakable objects, and story two. So I have this one kid in my gaming club. Let's call him John. The first few times he played two rooms, kids actually hated playing with him. The reason why is because every time he got a card that wasn't a special ability card, in other words, just a blue team, red team card, he would be visibly annoyed and kind of check out. Eventually, he stopped doing this because everyone was complaining about it, but everyone in the club still knew he had this reputation. Fast forward a few more weeks later, and playing two rooms again, and just this idea of the cards, I give John his card, and immediately he sees it and gets upset. He's like, uh, not again, the second he sees the card. I'm annoyed, the other kids are annoyed, because we don't want his attitude to spoil the game. All three rounds, he's kind of just sitting in the corner of his room, looking at his phone, just playing a game. The other kids decide to just ignore him and try and play and have a good time. The game proceeds. I notice that Red Team is having significant trouble finding the president. It gets to the point that I wonder if I messed up and forgot to put the president in. Game ends, and I tell the president and the bomber to reveal themselves. Bomber reveals her card, and to everyone's surprise, John, with the biggest smile on his face, reveals the president card in the opposite room. 
most of the game, he was actually in a room with the bomber and most of the red team. But none of them suspected John for a second or even asked him to card share because they thought he was throwing fit because he had an unimportant card. After that game, I congratulated John on his evil genius and told him never to do that again. (laughs) Now, guys, if you haven't played this game yet, please do so and make some stories. So that was Nave Andrew Menfee. And it's really cool hearing stories, enjoying the game that you made with your best friend. That's you, Shawnee boy! But that actually jogged some memories that I now recall of Two Rooms in a Boom. You mind indulging me for a second? Please. One really quick story. I remember playing with a leprechaun. Do you remember how the leprechaun works? I do. The leprechaun is foolish, which means that he cannot refuse to card share color share if people ask him to. Also, whenever he card shares or color shares, I think with people, he has to trade cards with them. And then finally, all of this matters because if you're holding the leprechaun card at the end of the game, you win along with all the other winners. That's right. It's an I win card no matter what, but it's so hard to hold on to because you can only ever hold on to it once because that's the other caveat about the leprechaun card. Now, I'm playing a game and I see someone snag the leprechaun card from someone else. Basically, someone looks disappointed and someone else looks really excited after they did this card share. And so I'm thinking, oh, sweet. Tony is now the new leprechaun. So I know I can go over and ask Tony to card share with me and then I will become the new leprechaun. But I know you don't want to do this too soon because when the game ends is when the leprechaun wins. If I do it too early... Then I know someone could just come up to me, much like I was going to go up to Tony and ask for his card share. So I do this thing where I look around and I see someone else. I see Sister Elizabeth also looking at Tony. So I realize, oh, cool. Well, Elizabeth is going to go up and then I'll ask Elizabeth because Elizabeth knows just like I do. In the meantime, I'm trying to play it cool, blend in. Also, I'm trying to win for my team just in case I screw up this whole leprechaun strategy that's going on. If I remember correctly, this is how I knew Elizabeth knew about Tony. She said, how much more time in the last round? (laughs) She's obviously waiting until the last moment. She says, well, let's just make sure we know when there's a little time left. And someone says like 10 seconds left. And I see Elizabeth go right up to Tony and I'm right behind Elizabeth trying to hide behind her. She's like, hey, Tony, would you like to card share? Damn it. Yes. And then I pop out right around her shoulder. Elizabeth, let's card share. Time. Oh, leprechaun. She was pissed. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) it's these moments where you have a strategy and you just like to see it play out. So, Andrew, thank you for inspiring those. I I definitely think we should knight, Andrew, for taking the time and sharing some stories. Me too. What do you think a good name for him would be? Maybe Sir Evil Genius? That's the kid, though. I was thinking Sir Popular Gamer or Sir Popular Game Clubber or something like that. Sir Game Club? Sir Clubby? Sir Clubby. Sir Clubberson. (laughs) Sir Clubby. Sir, Sir Clubby? I like that. What do you like better, Sir Clubby or Sir Clubberson? Clubberson's longer. I gotta go with the longer name, Sir Clubberson. <laughs> Let's go with Sir Clubberson. There we go. Nave, 
Approach we nobles and kneel to allow us to honor thee. We, on behalf of all knaves, knights, and nobles alike, applaud thine heroic and knightly contribution to this, the Tuesday night podcastle. Allow us to dub thee Sir Cleverson of the Tuesday Night Podcast. Now rise, rise, Sir Cleverson, as the newest knight of the Tuesday Night Gaming Table. And Andrew, if you don't like your name, please let us know and we'll rename you because we don't want to knight someone a name that they don't like unless you're a really close friend of ours and we don't give a damn. Like Sir Weenie. You're Sir Weenie no matter what. Whether you want to be or not. <laughs> Sean, if they want to send in their own name tonight's mission, where should they do it? Podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Spelled with a K. That's right. And actually, I want to do a call out. If you have any Two Rooms and a Boom stories of your own, we'd love to hear them. So whether you either just send them in in an audio format or as an official Nave Tonight's mission, that's great. If you just tell us right there in your email, that'll be fine too. Or you can even just do it through social media. What's our social media info, Sean? At PlayTKG on Instagram and Twitter and or Tuesday Night Games on Facebook. You know, Sean, there's something else that I thought of before we go, because we're pretty much out of time. We're milking this thing for all we have. You mentioned the werewolf character in one of your two rooms in a boom stories when we thought we may have been burnt out. But the werewolf isn't even in the published game. So that was actually us playtesting an expansion. And do you know how I create our actual cards for expansion sets that we need to test out? An egg comes out of your butt. And you sit on that egg for six months until it's ready to hatch. Mm -hmm. And that's why it takes so long for us (laughs) to to release (laughs) an expansion. Is this egg hatching thing. You use the wonderful service, the Game Crafter. Ding, ding, ding! Sponsors, yay! Thank you for sponsoring us. Send us free stuff for money. And we'll talk about your stuff. But only if we like it. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Let's cut to the cheese. Here's the beautiful thing about thegamecrafter.com. You have a game idea? Boom. You can go ahead, get it manufactured through thegamecrafter.com. Better yet, you want to sell that game? You can use the Game Crafter as your online store. So all you have to do is share the link to your game on thegamecrafter.com with all of your friends and family members via social media and email. But you don't even need to do that because thegamecrafter.com has its own search engine. So people who are just perusing all the beautiful games on thegamecrafter.com can stumble upon your game. You're now an official game designer selling games through an established website. (laughs) But what does that mean for us, Shawnee boy, for Tuesday Night Games? Well, we want playtesters for all of the games Sean and I tirelessly design but have yet to publish. We don't know if they're any good until they've been played a crap ton. And that's where you come in. Email us, podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. Tell us you want to be a playtester. You know what I'm going to do for you then? I'm going to share the link directly to you where you can go ahead and order our prototype copy professionally printed and manufactured through thegamecrafter.com. 
And I will make sure that we won't upcharge you because that's something you can do on the Game Crafters. You can adjust the price any amount above the manufacturing cost that you get to cha-ching pocket yourself. But we're not going to be doing it for profit at all. No. In fact, here's the dealio. If you become a very loyal and regular playtester giving us all that sweet, sweet feedback, of course, we're never going to charge you for using the Game Crafter. We're going to start sending you some free prototype games from the Tuesday Night Games without you even asking. Because we want you to be playtesting our games because they need to be played. <gasps> so check it out. Gamecrafter.com and if you're interested in becoming a playtester, email us podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Anything we should talk about that you think we missed? No, I think this was a great episode. Well, I think we should end, Sean, except uh, remind everyone to share the shit out of this podcast with your friends. Smash that like button. <laughs> <laughs> Give us all the stars. And I think with that being said, this episode is... It's finished, my boy!